0: With more than 60 episodes in the game, KP and PR are still dropping gems. Secrets continues to bring you the hot fire that you have grown to expect. Listeners describe secrets as the ultimate receipt for motivating the underrepresented employee to be bold in achieving their career aspirations in corporate America. And season four will definitely not disappoint as they deliver secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get your market value. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be Better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season four.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Secrets, where I got another great episode here for you today.
2: Ricky, what's going on, my friend? KP, KP, man. I was recently speaking to a few of our coaching clients about the twists and turns. I should say the twists and turns. The twists and turns, the turns, the
1: more the turns. turns and
2: more turns. <laughs> exactly. The twists and turns on the journey uh, to reach their career aspirations, and it really just dawned on me, right? I, I it made me kind of just pause, you know, for a second. This mess called corporate America mm-hmm. is hard as hell to navigate with no playbook, mm-hmm. right? And you know, a lot of us started and we didn't know what we wanted to, yeah. you know, how to do it or anything mm-hmm. like that, or. Like assistance from those who've attempted it before you. Yeah. And I honestly just feel blessed, man, to be able to have people within our secrets village. Okay. Like this village is real mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we can just tap into to share their experiences and provide a bit of a blueprint, if you will, for how we should navigate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And I, I can't tell you how good it feels Um, To be able to keep bringing secrets to all of our listeners on how to be prepared for all of this, Mm -hmm. all the things that you may encounter as you go through your career. And that's why we built Secrets and the platform or services that we have here to be a resource and a support system for all the people who are trying to navigate this maze, Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. maze of corporate America. And just think about a few of the guests that we've had on our previous episodes from Anton Vincent to Brooke Story to Daryl Smith to Chandra Pappas. All of them brought so many gems and hot fire to our village in terms of how to navigate. And our community has come to expect all of this greatness for us at this point, right? Yeah, we. Can't I see s- you with your Muhammad Ali
2: shirt on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I came to fight. Greatness. I came to fight today. I came to <laughs> fight, man. But no, I, I mean, I think the other part of this, though, is you're just so correct in terms of this village and, and this excellence that people come to um, expect. Although we didn't set out on being like a change agent at this level with the genesis of secrets, right? Mm -hmm. Like I tell you all, we were sitting here just trying to figure out how we could impact a few more people. And now at 20,000, we know this is real. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. At 20,000 like followers here, we know we've created a bit of a monster by setting the bar so high with our guests and topics that we share, you know, on a weekly basis. And like we continue to say to you over and over again, you know, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. <laughs> right. You are not crazy. We know the career climb is flawed with, you know, scenarios and leaders who want you to believe that you're broken. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in need of repair and I can help you with this before moving to the next level in your career. While we know that uh, like this self-discovery process is so very necessary in terms of you being able to move forward. The most important aspect to reaching your career aspirations is having a solid village mm-hmm. and community that you can lean on along the way. Because without that, again, it's the blind it's leading hard. the blind, it's you know? It's hard.
1: It's hard. I say. It is hard out here. <laughs> and today we have a special treat that we are bringing to our secret listeners today. Right here in our secrets village, we have a outstanding and amazing person who's a flat out bedrock in corporate America mm-hmm. and more importantly an advocate and voice for the community. Aisha Berry is going to be joining us here on Secrets today.
2: To bring a hot bite. You know if like if we were in the club and the DJ puts on that little siren, when they go yeah. Ear! <laughs> Ear! we'd be doing that right now. we be doing that right now.
1: So before we let Aisha bless the mic today with a lot of hot fire, let me run down a few accolades for her so you can see that we are spending time with yet another rarity in corporate America. She was spotlighted in Savoy Magazine as one of 2019's most influential women in corporate America. And in 2021, she was named Distinguished Alumni for Career Advancement by the Ohio State University. The The Ohio State (laughs) University (laughs) College of Engineering. She has held several functional VP and GM roles for some of the largest healthcare and med tech organizations in the world. And she is currently the president for a medical equipment manufacturing and technology company. She's a member of advisory boards at Ohio State and Dartmouth where she received her MBA. She also sits on the board of the Cayman Aerospace Corporation. And one of her, my personal favorites, she is the National Vice Chair of the National Governing Board of Directors of the Jeremiah Program. So Secrets listeners, let's all raise our glasses, get them hands a clapping. We're about to bring you Aisha Berry. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. It is a pleasure to spend time with you.
2: Look, Aisha, welcome, sister. Um, this is absolutely like an honor for us to be able to speak to you today. You know, wait, wait and Keith, I think you might have forgotten one more thing, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, which really, in my mind, proves that she's a purple unicorn because you forgot to mention this girl speaks Mandarin. Oh, shut your mouth! I'm trying to tell you, but we're talking about these purple unicorns here, right? Because again, this is all what you're going to hear momentarily here. Mm -hmm. But Aisha, I'm so happy that you're on. I think sharing your story is something we've been waiting for for a long time. I know we've been texting back and forth, trying to align, you know, our calendars, and finally we got it. So we want to be able to leverage this moment. I know for without a doubt, like your story is going to inspire our secrets listeners to keep climbing towards their career aspirations. So I'm going to need everyone to just pay attention. Okay, if you need to pause this for a quick second, go refill your cup so you can uh, drink with your pinky up, whatever you do. Go ahead and do that because we are going to have some fun with our sister today
1: yes in today's episode we'll talk what i share about her path to the top her sponsorship journey and some of the challenges and triumphs she faced while climbing to the top we'll also so- discuss what it's like as a black and underrepresented female leader having to constantly prove yourself over and over again only feel like you're on that hamster wheel mm-hmm. that we're all familiar with as usual we'll provide some receipts we got some receipts today on representation levels of Black female executives in corporate America, and why being intentional with your career is important. And we'll close out with some secrets from Aisha on what you can do to get on the executive career path and what leaders can do to build inclusive and equitable cultures for their employees.
2: Mm, So I'm excited, man. So let's just get this show cracking, okay, Aisha? So can you just take a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on your upbringing, your educational background, and also your corporate uh, journey. Just give it to us girl. let's let us know who Aisha is.
3: So I want to start by highlighting that I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. I always call that out because of the diversity that I experienced as a child. What I've found as I've traveled around the world and the country is that it was unique. I also give a nod to the blue collar and agricultural set of industries that were all around me, as well as interestingly, some of the best colleges and visual and performing arts you'll find in the country. So it was just a mosaic growing on around me. Learned how to work hard, play hard, Learned how to use both sides of the brain. And you saw people of all walks of life doing that. Like being an immigrant, being somebody who was black or African-American in that area, you saw successful people all around. I think that's unique. Next, I would tell you about my parents. You know, I'm still finding out who my parents are. I think one of the things I'm learning as I get older is we always know our parents as our parents. We don't know who they were before they had us and what their identity was. Mm -hmm. So my father came to this country in his early 20s. He grew up in Africa, in Guinea, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. He grew up in a village. Um, If we want to be really dramatic and it's dramatic, it was a hut, no electricity, none of the things that we think about. But my father actually received a classic French baccalaureate education because he did do the walk seven miles uphill. You you know, we all heard that story to go to school. He's the only one of his siblings that received an education. My mother is an immigrant of a different type. Because, you know, she traveled from the South to the North. And we know that that opened up a new world for Black people in the United States. And when I think about my mother, I often compare her to Vernon Jordan's mother. Mm. If you haven't read the book, Vernon can read, put it on your list. It's a classic. That is the playbook for getting ahead. Because for any of you who don't know this, Jordan, besides being a counsel to many presidents of the United States and sitting on their boards of directors, both formally and informally, he sat on more corporate boards than any Black person at a time before we did not sit on corporate boards. So that book is an absolute must read. But if you read about his mother, his mother worked in the big house, basically, got him a job driving and washing cars in the summer there as well. But what she did was she watched what the people who didn't look like her were doing every day. What were they pouring into their families and their children? How were they treating their money and doing things to be successful? And my mom was a bored beast. So she was a nurse and she saw the same thing. She took excellent care of her patients and what they did and what they were doing with their kids. She makes sure she brought it home and did it for us. If you talked with her, she would tell you, I'm, um, you know, I might be a little behind based on her plan and that she knew this was all going to work out because she paid for me to go to kindergarten. Mm. okay, I'm gonna let you digest that. She said she paid <laughs> for me to go to kindergarten yeah. um and in her mind, that was the kickoff event.
2: Wait, but wait, but Aisha, was, but what she was also talking about was, she was waiting on that ROI, that return on investment. That's
3: exactly right. You know, I tried to, I tried to get sassy to Tell her well, I had a scholarship to college, and she was like, "I paid for you to go."
2: <laughs> so you still owe me.
3: That, that comes back quite often, but she did so many things out of the ordinary for us. You know, being you know a poor family. I think about going to the Field Museum in Chicago when I was four years old. She took us there to see King Tut. Who, there was nobody there like us going to see King Tut. But she had put us in the car, had packed all the macaroni and cheese and fried chicken. Everybody that's my age knows exactly what I'm talking about. I <laughs> yep. traveled with a trunk full of Fago.
1: trunk full right? of Right?
3: <laughs> we did that. She made sure we were there. I had my passport when I was in the fifth grade. Um, she took me out of the country. She took me to Europe when I was in fifth grade. And she made sure all of us played at least two musical instruments. Mm-hmm. And that's just a small snippet. So I'd love to say it was me, but I, I really think it was them and the continuation of their legacy. So I'm the third. What I see you, Ricky. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so all right, all right, So I'm about to say one thing, because you know you can't tell me, you can't almost tell me something I ain't gonna follow up. I want to know what two instruments you played. Okay. And it can't be the spoons or the ukulele. Okay. What two spo- uh, instruments did you play? Aisha?
3: So, you know, I play a lot of instruments. I, I, that's one of my gifts, like the instruments and the language. So I often wonder what I'm going to do, but you know, like so many of us, I started playing in the church at a really young age. And my primary instrument is the organ. Woo! And I've had the ability to play on some of the biggest and best instruments in the country. She had me studying organ at the conservatory at Oberlin. When I was in junior high school, I was mentored by some of the best organists in the country. And that was going to be my future career. And then I got scared. But that's a different podcast, guys. And yeah,
2: yeah. hey, remember, him coming to America, the first one that that girl got talent. That's right. That girl got talent. She's good. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should. I'm gonna let you keep on speaking. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm gonna try to refrain over here. Okay.
1: You didn't got some yeah,
2: Stop watching you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I'm the third child of three. I'm. Seven and eight years junior to my brothers. My oldest brother is an engineer. He was really, he really is an engineer, understands it, loves it, you know, putting together the Monte Carlo in the summers. We he did all that stuff. He's the reason that I learned I was able to go to school and be an engineer. He showed us how to do that. And between him and my mom, they're an engineer making factory. All three of (laughs) us are engineers. Contrary to what some people may believe, Ohio State was massive when I went there. Um, you're talking over 50,000 people. They've shrunk that. I was able to be in a very nurturing environment there. Again, the brothers had been there before I'd been there, so they had made connections into the minority engineering program. Craig and I are both chemical engineers. And so that department was waiting for me. They made sure that I got through, they helped me with the educational things as well as the, I would say, the personal things. And they still play a role in my life today. You know, you think about that award that you mentioned, Keith, they nominated me for that. And, you know, I'm one of the youngest alum to get that award, but that's because that group of people 27 years later is still there supporting me and trying to make me a success. So um, Ohio State, I, I can't say enough about them. I'll tell you, I was really naive when it came to choosing a career. I ended up at Exxon for all of my internships doing classical engineering, and I was a little bit blue about that. I didn't really know that's what I had signed up to do. I say that because I do think a lot of Black children, because they're good in science and math, you know, they get told to go get that good job and be an engineer and get into middle class quickly. It's a shock. And um, I definitely experienced that. I was fortunate because P&G found me. I ended up following one of my classmates to a presentation. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to hear P&G speak. I said, what's P&G? So that's who I was back in yeah, the day. Yeah, what's yeah. P&G? She said, those people that make Tide. I said, like, okay, I'm going with you. And that was honestly the beginning of my journey to being a general manager. they product managers at P&G sit within the R&D function. They don't sit with marketing. So the only marketers in that the vast R&D uh, function. And I loved it. I love all facets of designing customer experience, that whole end-to-end value stream um, and optimizing that and being accountable for that. And so that was the beginning. It comes from a place of passion. I also became a mom about eight weeks after I graduated from Ohio State. They helped me get through that too. And about six weeks before I started at p and I call that out because I think I'm unique. I know the what and the how of what I'm doing here. You know, my what was about being a 23-year-old mother and making sure that my daughter felt like she was the child of somebody who was 35 years old. All the experiences and opportunities that she was going to have, she was going to be no different than anyone else. And so that gave me a lot of motivation for what I do on the job. Um, And then having the ability to do a job that I love, I was clear. And I have been clear the entire time on what I wanted. And so that made it easy to do things like take on progressive responsibilities at P&G, including three years in mainland China, as Ricky alluded to. That's another podcast. And you talk about Brianna and I landing in Beijing, not knowing how to eat with anything other than a fork. (laughs) <laughs> but not know really how to ask for the pork.
0: Yeah.
3: So um, <laughs> yeah. that was a little bit problematic. I left P&G because I realized I couldn't achieve my career objective there. They do not take GMs from R&D. And although I had been given the opportunity to get on the GM path within marketing, I chose not to do it. I didn't like it. Um, That's not me. They didn't want the type of archetype that I bring with that chemical engineering, technical, analytical background. They wanted somebody who thought more from their gut. And so it wasn't a fit. I didn't stay in there. And I went back to R&D and eventually I left P&G. And when I did that, I went back to business school because although I didn't want to do traditional brand management, I did need to get that financial piece and be able to speak the language of business. So I was fortunate to obtain a consortium fellowship to go to the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. I know there's lots of people who won't go to Dartmouth. It's like, feel sorry for you for not doing that. Because when you talk about the other set of people who make sure that I'm taken care of in the world, it is them. (laughs) They have been a fantastic family to my daughter and I. And frankly, the, the next step came from that. The scholarship that I had at Dartmouth was sponsored by one of the top three leaders at Deer and Company. And in a year where most people graduating from B school did not have jobs, Tuck was 99% placed. And, you know, HJ made sure that the five of us that wanted to come to Deer had jobs. And he set me up very well. They hired me to be a general manager in China. That means I was doing business development, setting up a business in China that I was supposed to run. I got into it and this is my Achilles heel, but I'm learning to make it a positive thing is I'm pretty doggone honest and transparent if you can't tell. And I, you know, I said, don't do this. Like <laughs> This is not the right thing to do. And I told them that <laughs> I was like, this is not the right thing to do. And you know, They listened to me. I had credibility because everything was riding on that. Like, that was my job. And they knew I wanted to go back to China and be international with my daughter, but had the conviction to tell them that it was the wrong thing for the business. And so um, my early path to GM got closed off in that way. I was fortunate that I caught a sponsor. At Deer and Company, through those actions, and if you look at my resume, I had a variety of roles that uh, I'm not sure I ever wanted, but I absolutely needed. It it actually makes it so I can see things as a GM that most GMs can't see, and so it's just enough time and a lot of different things to kind of give you that X-ray vision that makes a difference when there's a problem. And so I, I did that. The problem with it was was the culture. And, you know, I'll come back to that several times. You've got to be a cultural fit. My sponsor, who's now the CEO of that company, he wasn't a cultural fit either, exactly. But the joke about him is he's got the patience of a games hunter (laughs) trying to get a lion. So he was just waiting. He was waiting till the day when he was the leader of that company so he could make the changes that he knew needed to occur. And, you know, his, desire for me was to hang with him until he could do that do that. That was going to be almost a decade. Yeah. And if you can mm-hmm. imagine being in an organization where two things, one, everybody knew we were linked. Mm-hmm. So I would show up for an assignment and it would be like, uh-oh, he's here. <laughs> right. So I was inside of people's operations. And then again, the culture, the culture piece. It's I was putting things together too quickly for them. One of the people I sat on a leadership team told me once, he's like, you keep throwing us fastballs and we don't know what to do with them. (laughs) And so at some point in time, I found myself with no voice in that organization and I got sick. I literally and physically got sick. It was like I was eating my words Mm -hmm. and just kind of choking on them because swallowing them and choking on them. So I was fortunate because getting sick kind of provided the clarity on what there was to do next. You know, navigating the healthcare system, I, I, re, I decided right then and there, if I work another decade, I'm going to be doing something in healthcare because there's just so much work to be done there. And I really thought I could make a difference there. I'd been speaking with Medtronic since B school. Again, it was a bad hiring year the year I came out of B school. So everybody was late or didn't hire, but they had, they had stayed in touch with me and that offered me roles over the years. And at that time they found the role where I could be, you know, a path into the organization. Now it may sound strange that I say that, but MedTech tech, med device, a pretty closed industry. They want people that have been raised there and kind of check the boxes that they have in the industry. They really are seeking subject matter experts. I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm an athlete. And so it was interesting that they chose to bring me in on a thing that they couldn't do to do like a lead a digital organization and figure that out and get them on track and solve that. It was easy for me because I had a long history of doing things that nobody else had done because those were the jobs I'd always gotten. And my my MO is to take those jobs and make them aspirational. I just love it when somebody who's kind of laughing at me when I get a job, gets that job three years later, and they're excited about it. <laughs> it's, it's my goal in life. So doing that job at Medtronic, while some looked at it and said, oh my goodness, I can't believe they've asked her to do this. I just thought it was a great opportunity. It got me into the industry I was seeking to be in, got some credentialing in digital as well, and rose relatively quickly at Medtronic because of it. It really positioned me for what I do today. I run a full operating company. And so when I compare that to other GM and president's roles, I run the entire thing from strategy, M&A, to the innovation program, all the way down to sleeves rolled up, talking about the balance sheet and working capital. I know very few president's roles that allow that. And that's what I've always wanted. So I'm happy about that. Career objective met in 2016 when I became a GM. (laughs)
1: That's amazing. I mean, it, the story. Holy cow!
2: I Man, I, I'm telling you, <laughs> holy cow! Like, right. I, I'm still over here and all right because, look, I know Aisha, right? Like, like she, you know, we we talk about Aisha all the time. Like, I know Aisha, but every time like someone speaks and you get something new. Mm-hmm. You just get this solidified oh, yeah. foundation of respect. That's right, you know, form there.
1: Absolutely. Just real. And real quick, just shout out to the consortium. If y'all don't know about the consortium, you need to find out. I, I went to IU, I should so I had you know the consortium changes lives. So if you're looking to go to B school, look into it. I'll just say that real quick. The thing that struck me is you were talking about your story, for you it was a lot of self-discovery. You took a lot of chances. You were really reflective about what that was going to get you and just the intentionality around the choices you made and how that led to the next step to the next step. Could you just talk a little bit about the intentionality behind the plan that you kind of built for yourself and how that led you to the various um, leadership roles that you ended up taking on?
3: Yeah. And and you may correct me after I share with you, when you call it (laughs) intentional, I think I was very fortunate because I did have somebody to give me insight on the path. Mm. I had a mentor at P&G. He's a black PhD scientist, and I met him on my first day at P&G. Now, ironically, I ran from him. And this is a disease that uh, black people have in corporate. I can't quite explain it, and I'm ashamed of it when I think about it now, but he came into my office, And he introduced himself and he's like, I would love to take you to lunch. And I kind of recoiled from him. And I I don't know what it was. I didn't know what I thought being associated with another Black person would do. But I didn't take him up on his offer until I got in trouble for the first time. I see this all of the time where other Black people don't reach out to other Black people. They don't show up on the doorstep. They don't call them. They don't take them up on that offer. I've seen, I've had people ignore me in the hallways and it's the black people. And I cannot explain what that is. And I say that out of no judgment because I did the exact same thing. But what I can tell you is that a lot of my success, and I know we'll talk about sponsorship later, but it was the black people that had me ready to Mm -hmm. receive all of those things. So I had the benefit of his plus 24 years of experience. He was in front of me and him and his friends, his generation, they're the ones that set the deck for me. And it's been a game changer for me. He and I have strategized every move that I made. And I say that so that you understand There was a strategy there, but I wasn't in my head trying to figure it out and piece it together because I told you, I didn't even know what P&G was. How was I going to come up with a career plan? I was naive, Um, a babe in the woods. We discussed the consequences of each move and I do say consequences because he was always very clear with me around what things meant, what I would be giving up, how I would have to change or change and pivot quickly with some of these opportunities to get the full magnitude of that opportunity. Most importantly, he ne- he's never left my side. When I lived in China, he called me every day. When I say every day, every day. Before there were text messages, before you know things were cheap, we had found something called Penny Talk, where we could recharge, load these phone cards and talk every day. He put me to sleep every day so that I wasn't alone um and i think that's one of the things that's so critical for people coming up in corporate america is having somebody whether it's a mentor or a group of friends or something so that you're not alone so that you can talk this out with people i think this is part of what your podcast plays out for people they may not be able to be in that two-way dialogue with you but it helps them understand that they are not alone you know one of the things he explained to me was that i was coachable because of course i wasn't the first person he tried this with he'd been looking for people his entire career, because all he wanted to do was share this information. But what he said that makes me stand out for him is that I would act on the coaching and I would do it quickly and completely. I was not in my head thinking about it. He and I have a relationship of trust. And when he tells me something, I move on it. You know, one of the honors of my life has been partnering with him to accelerate the careers of Black people. And in doing so, we've accelerated the careers of Chinese people, white people, everybody. Our track record is really strong. We developed a program at P&G that has spun off not just the uh, GMs and presidents. We have people that sit on the executive committees of companies. You know, we've done the thing about getting people to ahead of us using our combined experiences. So that, that's who he who, who he is. And that's what I had. When I think about some of the things that we did that were super deliberate, deliberate, like going into marketing at P and G, it was a deliberate step because if I could have made that go, I would have been able to be on the GM path at Procter and Gamble. Going to China, which is why you know he was so supportive of me. You know, you talk about the language skills, you talk about. Does the number of people who've had that opportunity and now in a world where it's, you know, I don't know that people will get that type of opportunity going forward. Um, that becomes a critical differentiator. We chose Tuck together. You know, it's if we're going to give up being a director. I was a director at the time at P&G. If you're going to give that up, it better be for something of value. And so the top tier business school going, you know, into New Hampshire, all of those things were deliberate. Making the decision to move on to a P&L role from a company where I was pretty comfortable at the time—I was good. I could have been VPGM, I could have ridden it out. And then this moved to Fortive. We talked about this a long time because I will tell you, like, full P&L responsibility is a lot of pressure. Having that strong fit with the culture is critical, and so those were some of the things that we we sat back and spent a lot of time on. But for me and him, it was every day. It was coaching and um trying something and looking at how it went and
2: then trying something again. Aisha, again, I, I'm in awe over here. My mouth is dropped because I just keep learning. Like every time we speak, like I just keep learning. Like I you and I talk about what do you put in the collard greens? Okay. Like we don't talk about like all of this, you know, stuff all of the time, right? So I mean, I truly appreciate the intentionality and the consistency within your moves and how you've leveraged your, your board of directors and your, in your personal, you know, village, and just like your overall plan just are astounding. Right. And and again, and it shows you can come from humble or meager, you know, upbringing or uh, beginnings and how you can ascend if you put in the work, like if you do the things that you're uh, called upon to do. But what I also know is like this constant, uphill battle, and you talked about some of the health concerns and, and, and issues that you uh, faced within this journey. It can take a toll on you. you. You physically had that. And mentally, like to that standpoint, it can it can really do something to you. Can you talk a moment about some of the difficult moments you faced and how you were able to overcome them? Was there a time or various moments where you felt like, you know what, I may need to step away from this corporate grind over here, or I might need to wave the white flag? Right. Lord knows I've definitely felt like that on numerous, you know, occasions, like the white flag might be the best option. Can you just maybe just take a moment and just uh and and give us your point of view or perspective on that?
3: Yeah. Well, I'll give you three different Mm -hmm. experiences. You know, one, I alluded to health issues. I've had health issues for well over a decade now. One of the interesting things about going out as an expat that no one tells you is a high proportion of expat families have somebody get sick Mm. while they're out of the country.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
3: you're under a different type of pressure. The only way I can explain it is like, you're like a kid again, your brain has to work. You can't go to the store and just buy the butter. You have to think about how you cross the street, you know, figure out there's 10 different types of butter. And I don't know any of them. Like your brain just wakes back up and that, creates a significant toll on you. I started having vision issues when I was in China and they asked me to stay an additional three to five years. So effectively, I was going to be able to raise my child outside of the U.S., which was something that she really desired. And Mm -hmm. we loved our lifestyle outside of the country. We liked travel. We liked being a part of the international community. There's something, we weren't Black. So like, I just put that out there. People treated us like Americans, which is funny because mm-hmm. people in America don't see us like Americans, but we <laughs> loved being out of the country because we were Americans. And we had the opportunity to do that. But me being sick was pretty visible. It was highly visible at P&G. People knew. And so it was a choice of, do you take a stand as a leader to do what you would want for anybody that's under your, under your coaching and mentoring is to come back and take care of themselves and take care of their health? Or do you try to keep going? We came back. You know, that set us on a different path than we would have been on. It was kind of one of those, we were about to get something really good that we wanted and we had to let it go. It took me a long time to recover from that just emotionally, mentally, my daughter will tell you that she wasn't happy until she got out of high school because of it. It was, it was that hard on us. So that was one of those difficult moments, but I do think it defined me as a credible leader because I support people all the time and having balance and taking care of themselves. I had alluded about killing my job at Deer. Oh boy. Um, Again, I went to Deer to be a general manager. I went to B-School, gave up a very good career, very good career path. One of the things that if you are as far along as I was at the time I went to B-School that you can run into a trap of is you don't get the boomerang effect that you expect right away. And so when I recommended to the company that they not proceed with that business venture Mm-hmm. Then it was okay, Aisha. This special job that we had for you, that we hired you to do, it no longer exists, and you now need to come back and do what everybody else does. And I said, "Well, what does that mean? You need to be a quality manager." Okay, here I sit with my nice fresh MBA. And, you know, I had left PNG as a director, and I'm a quality manager. My ego couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really struggled, and the problem with that was I had no place to go. I'm a year in, so it's like you're quitting a job a year into B school probably wasn't going to get a director level job. And so it was one of those situations where I just had to commit, put my head down and do the work. And as I said, that that role and being in a manufacturing environment and learning just some of the foundational elements of running a company in that way, they paid dividends for me today, but it absolutely didn't feel like that at the time. White flag moments. COVID I, I was a definite white flag moment for me. It was difficult all around. Uh, the job that I had at the time, the product line that I was accountable for was like ventilators. For every ventilator, you needed at least one monitor. So you can imagine the calls that we were on every day and what we were doing trying to fill in that supply chain. But on the other side, you were in your house watching people get killed by the police. And then what COVID did that I think was really kind of sneaky is we were all hiding in our house. People don't remember that, but we didn't know what it was. We were hiding in our house. And then in mid April, they released that study that said that it disproportionately affected the elderly and people of color. And after that, no one would stay in their house. That did me in. I I don't know about you, but I, I, I've not been that hurt in my life. I've never felt so much like an other to know that people got it like in their minds, they had internalized. I'm good. I'm good. If these other people die, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It ain't me. Yeah. And that took the energy to do this corporate thing right out of me. So I spent a good part of 2020 really thinking through You know, how could I just not be as present as I need to be every day to do this job in corporate? And that meant exiting. And also, I would say setting a new set of standards, like really getting clear on myself if I don't exit, because my daughter is a big advocate, like, don't exit, mom. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, if I don't exit, what are my conditions of satisfaction? What has to be true every day? And for me, it meant I have to be able to do the job with less energy. Less energy for me means being my true authentic self. If I can't walk into a, an environment and they haven't bought into Aisha and I don't get to be that complete, transparent, black Aisha, I can't be with you. It's it's I can't work for you. And so that was the interesting piece about this transition and supportive because, um, you know, I was honest with the headhunter. I was like, I don't really know about this. I had never thought about Fortive. And he's like, don't worry. They feel the same way about you. They're, they're not, they are not know if they're feeling you either. Um, and it just turned into a really great conversation. And they were very clear on what they were getting, because guess what? I told them and they told me what their expectations were. And it is the only reason I'm in corporate today is that I, again, I go to work every day. I don't deal with politics. Those folks are so results oriented. They're just looking for who has the answer. And they, they build a culture where you treat people in such a way that you keep them talking so that they will bring forward the answer, particularly when you're looking for things around continuous improvement and problem solving. So it's, a, it's an excellent fit for me. And anywhere you find me for the rest of my career, it will be an excellent bit like that, or I won't be there. I will be in my house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it.
1: Love it. Cause and it is it's hard for people to like advocate for themselves and say what they actually need mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. order to be successful at the end of the day. But that's one of those differentiators that people like us can use to break through, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like this is what, what needs to be true. Yeah. yeah. In order for for me to really uh, take this on. So
2: and and with secrets, I mean, look, we we work on building confidence to be able to ask for what you want, as Aisha just spoke about, you know, and to feel comfortable doing it. Right. So this is that self-discovery that she spoke about earlier. This is that making sure that that village that you have surrounding you and that sponsorship, you know, makes sense, because at the end of the day, if you don't ask for it, you can't be mad if you don't get it. That's right.
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And, and actually, you know that Ricky and I talk a lot about sponsorship and allyship because that, those are the keys, keys to getting ahead in, the, in a lot of cases. And you talked extensively about your one sponsor there and the, the level of support and engagement and care that he took with you. Can you like double click just down a level, just in terms of what sponsorship has looked like for you? And I'm sure you've been sponsors for other people also. And maybe talk a little bit about that and what that may look like.
3: So I'll clarify. I think, you know, the, the PhD that I've been with for the past 27 years, I consider him a mentor. He had the playbook. He could decipher what was happening around me. He did not have the power mm-hmm. to do anything in my career. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had a very strong mentor. What's interesting about P&G, and I moved faster than 99% of the Black people that worked at p and mm. I still didn't have sponsorship. Mm. And, you know, when I talk about that critical calculation to leave a company and a job that I love, that was one of the calculations, was that I didn't have the sponsorship to make it beyond a certain level. We could kind of, at that point in time, sit back and figure out what the trajectory was going to be. So that was one of the reasons that I left. I can see four types of sponsors in my career, and I will call them all out because I think people often miss the sponsors. So there was this overt sponsor with limited power, and that would be my sponsor at Deere. He was, he is the CEO of that company now, and everybody in the company at the time I was there knew he was my sponsor, but he hadn't achieved that position yet. He was in a position where there was only so much he could do because what we couldn't do was take him off track. And so the ways that he advocated were limited. He definitely asked me to kind of deal with some things that were hard and difficult to deal with. I really think he underestimated the impact of some of the places that he sent me into. I lived in Waterloo, Iowa with my daughter on a cornfield. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what was going on in our life, okay <laughs> um, and he did it he did it from a good place because those were the things he did and so it was interesting to be there, you know a decade later and hear how they talked about him because they still didn't think the man was going to be the CEO. but guess what? I knew it I, you no. could you could tell so it these weren't hard things that he hadn't done, but it's different for a black woman to do those things and it's different for a black woman to do it and they know that this, you know, high level white male is sponsoring her. There's the easily missed sponsor, because if you start to believe your own hype, you won't recognize that people are there. Um, I talked to you about my career at Medtronic. I was given these assignments that were difficult um, and I was kind of the only person who could do them, but let's be clear, they still didn't want to give them to me. It was always somebody else because they didn't think they were very important. So there was always somebody else that they would consider for these roles. But if you look back at my time at Medtronic, every pivot point, there was one leader there. And this one leader was staking his personal credibility and his leverage in the organization to get me those assignments. And that was the head of R&D and cardiac rhythm. He is one of the OGs of Medtronic. Um, The businesses there today that are blockbuster businesses, Chris invented them. He brought those businesses to market from an R&D seat. He did the same thing with the diagnostics business. So he created several billion-dollar businesses. So he had a lot of street cred and ability to get things done. He is the one that kind of sat across the table from the commercial leader when they were like, we're not giving her this GM role. Chris said, give her the job. I will make sure she's successful. And he did. Again, most people would not link all of this to Chris, but I know who it was. My last move, my second VP jump, again, he was the one who did it. He put himself out of a job to get me that job. Make sure that you identify these sponsors in the background who will never take credit. They don't look like a traditional sponsor, but they're using their power on your behalf. There's the necessity sponsor. This would be Jim Lico at Fortive. I am only a president of an operating company because Jim said it shall be so. And Jim has put the entire weight of the Fortive Corporation or behind me and my company in making me successful. He has something at stake in my success other than it just being the right thing to do. And it's deep. Can I tell you guys how deep it is? Because this this blew me away. Yeah. yeah, I was with my team. And we were trying to do something hard. We were putting in a new management process and we were not communicating well. I was asking for one thing and the team thought I needed something else and I wasn't getting what I asked for. So you can imagine the frustration is rising and I slept on it. And the next day I told them how I felt about it. And what was crazy was we had a gentleman who was a white gentleman, been in the company for a while. He said, okay, team, you need to listen to what she just said you are not treating her like a president one of her male counterparts so he was saying one of her white male counterparts would have listened to you and just told you no she had the grace to hear you out to try and talk you through it give you a different place to stand but you're not treating her like a president you need to do this differently That only happens when the CEO is out in the streets saying, what have you done to help this leader and this company be successful? So I can tell you, I've never had sponsorship as deep as I've had it with him. He was with me last week. I have a supplier causing me issues. He went with me to that supplier. So you know, president and CEO show up and he was telling them, I haven't been to a supplier in five years. And that was for them, but that was also for me letting me know, I've got your back. You better run hard. (laughs) Like you better clean this up. So it's, it's a completely different place for me to sit. I've never been in a situation. I don't want to say where it's easy, but it is a lot of the stuff I've normally been in my head, trying to navigate and figure out like they're standing right there. He's standing right there. And he's like, my success is tied to yours. I like you. I'm from Detroit. You're from Cleveland. I want you to be successful." I'm going to give you the tools and make sure that the people in the organization support you so that you meet this end objective. I can't tell you how wonderful that is. And then there's the legacy sponsor. Legacy sponsor would be the CEO of command that just retired and the woman that just retired as the chair of the board for command. You know, They made the decision. It was a decision. All of us need to remember that. There there are other people who look like you and may not look like you, that can be in every one of these situations that we get the privilege to be in, but they made the decision that they wanted to bring a diverse candidate onto that board. And they took the extra effort to find the diverse candidate that met all of the requirements. And that would be having an industrial background. Hello, John Deere, right? Who mm-hmm. understands mm-hmm. consumer-facing products. Hello, Proctor & Gamble. And is in the Med device company actually worked for a company that one of their product lines, one of their fastest growing product lines actually serves. That would be Medtronic. So I was absolutely qualified for that role, but that was what they wanted to leave in place as they were both retiring and they took it on themselves to find me and make sure that I was um, considered for that role. So really good stuff. I've been really fortunate with many types of sponsors
2: again this is an amazing you know story about sponsorship and, and I really like you paying respect to that sponsorship but also being able to walk us through how it impacted you you know what maybe would not have happened had it not been for the sponsorship so I appreciate that but I want to kind of switch gears just a little bit. And I know you are extremely active with your community advocacy, you know, as we talked about with uh, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. you know, as well, um, mentoring relationships and board activities. What has it been like for you as a female Black leader to lead during these times and challenges over the last few years? And we know there's been just a lot of stuff, you know, going on. I know that many underrepresented executives continue to struggle with the trauma, the stress, the stress the tokenism, as we see the constant social injustices that occur around us, as you spoke to a little bit a, while, a little earlier. And I know white executives continue to struggle as well with how and when to engage on like racial tensions and overall gender equity. So what have you uh, done, Aisha? What have been some of your challenges that you've had to overcome in trying to uh, fight this fight, so to speak?
3: You know, I, I again, I think it's it's been a fight to survive because there's just more of everything. <laughs> there's more work. There's more difficult interactions. Zoom is not an easy medium to work on. And there's just more um, in the conversation that makes it difficult for people to come together to get things done. So it's it's just not what it was previously. And I think it's personally scary for wow. us. You know, I, I think that as a black woman, I recognize that I can be killed just for walking down the street. I had somebody in my garage a couple months ago actually turn their lights on me because I think they thought I was breaking into the garage. And what really bothered, and then luckily I was able to scoot and get in my car. So they're like, okay, she belongs here. But what if I hadn't? What if I had forgotten my keys? Like, what were they going to do to me? And so I, I do think, and I see it with a lot of people, that it's just hit this point where we are struggling at work because let's be clear, we have to be culturally ambidextrous to be in, in, in the corporate world. I've told you about all the things I didn't know and still continue to learn as I rise. So that that just brings a high level of stress and, and discomfort And then you live in this world where there is heightened stress and there is heightened awareness where you're not safe. I have found myself really having difficult conversations with people around what do you want? Mm
0: -hmm. Because
3: to play at a high level in corporate requires a certain amount of health and fitness to be able to navigate all of that. And if it's not what you really want, don't do it. And there's no shame. And not doing it. I told you of the arts and the music, and there's a lot of stuff that makes the world go round. The joke that I always tell my daughter is, if the thing she wants to do is be a chef, that's fine because she will be a Bobby Flay, an Emeril Lagasse. Like she will be good at that. You can be good at something else. So you know, in this world where it's heightened stress, make sure that this is what you want. That you you spend your time pursuing what you want. And that you give yourself to that, not trying to grind it out for something that you're not sure about. Like, I'm not sure. Like, this isn't, I don't love this. Um, It's not worth it. Not in this society. And you won't survive. You won't survive. You won't be healthy.
2: Like like Keith, man, I'm trying to tell you, man. You see why we were sending them all them text messages now? Yeah, we had to get this. We had to get this. You know know what I mean? So look, but again, I know every week, and I know you all probably get tired of me saying this, but I can't tell you how many emails Keith and I get because people think that we are over sensationalizing things. You know, with our guests that we have on and they're talking about their stories on their way through their corporate journeys, but. The reason that we come up with these stories is because there are countless receipts that say the story needs to be told. Needs to be told. So, Keith, why don't you talk to us now about what we're going to talk about with these receipts yeah, here today?
1: Receipts, that's right. And again, we got another unicorn and I missed, probably even more so. I think Aisha may be like the 0.0001% <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: right
1: when we talk about this. So we're going to share some receipts on Black executive representation at the top, and we'll share some receipts on how being the only can impact career success, particularly for Black women.
2: Look, so receipt number one, according to the 2022 Black Equity Index by COQL, of college graduates are black, 14%, okay? Yet only one in 13 companies have 10% or greater black representation. Chew on that, okay? (laughs) Chew on that for a second. Black professions are often siloed into support functions with HR showing the highest level of representation at 11%. In fact, only 4% of black professionals are even people managers, Which is great. 4%. Yeah. But even if we go back to the 11, we talked about like how, like me being at the chief level is like less than 2%.
1: 2%. And then we're
2: talking about 11% representation is in, you know, HR, right? Mm -hmm. So that 11% is groundswell, ground level positions at that.
1: At that. Receipt number two, in in their uh, Being Black in Corporate America report, um, Coco found that Black people make up. 8% 8% of the professional ranks, which is crazy. 3.2% of the executive ranks and 0.08% of CEOs. You know, that that stratosphere where I was just hanging out. Right, right, right now, exactly. Right? Point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the Black Equity Index also showed us that 38% of companies lack a single Black member on their board of directors. Not one. Not
2: one. 38%.
1: And I'm sure if we added one to the mix, it'd probably be like, eh, you may get up to like, 60%. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, right. Have zero or one. Oh, my that goodness. That. Receipt number three. According to the state of Black women in corporate America by Lean In, 54% of Black women say they are often only, and they uh, are the only Black person or one of the only Black people in the room at work. Mm-hmm. In the room. In the room. <laughs> okay. They are very aware of the fact that they may be seen as representatives of the entire race. And they are more likely than the only of uh, other racial and ethnic groups to feel as though their individual successes and failures will reflect on people like them. This leads to a sense that they are constantly under scrutiny. Black women who are the only often report feeling closely watched on guard and under increased pressure to perform. Again, I don't mean to keep bringing back our brother Malcolm X, mm-hmm. you know, and here we talked about where black women are most disrespected, mm-hmm. the most disrespected. This is another receipt that validates his point of view, yeah. you know, what he was talking about well before this was even written. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> and that pressure. Yes. That takes the mental and physical and mental health tolls that, that Aisha was talking about earlier. Absolutely. example. Receipt number four, that same report from Lean In shows that women of color and Black women in particular tend to receive less support and encouragement from their managers. Compared to white women, Black women are less likely to have managers showcase their work, advocate for new opportunities for them, or give them opportunities to manage people and projects. And Black women are also less likely to report that their manager helps them navigate organizational politics or balance work and personal life. And employees who have consistent management support are more likely to be promoted. So just that dichotomy of Black women not getting this and then other people getting it, that also shows the promotional gap mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Because if you're not getting the support, you're not likely to get promoted at the end of the day. And so as a result, people who are getting that support are more likely to be promoted and they're more likely to believe that they have an equal opportunity to advance. at the end. Of
2: the so day. at the end of the day, we're talking about sisters, you and y'all. Yeah. You know, like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you're on your own. That's you know, right. figure this shit out That's on right. your own.
1: But you saw examples from Aisha of how important that support was for her in terms mm-hmm. of being able to get the opportunities.
2: And intentionality on those leaders' parts. That's right. You know, that she, wasn't actually, she wasn't actually expecting or braced to mm-hmm. receive, right. you know, for the most part. But we can talk about how it's benefited. Mm-hmm. So, look, I know we go hard, you know, on what corporate America needs to do to, to fix things. And we talk about. Was wrong. OK, that's why we got the receipts. That's why we got secrets for crime. Right, you right. know what I mean? Right. But since we're talking about secrets, how about we start navigating into some of this, mm-hmm. the, the the tools and, and and you know, positive pieces that people can do sure. to kind of uh, change the paradigm or change the uh, their point of view, or perspective of things. Mm-hmm. So today, since we got our sister, you know, Aisha on the show today, we are so lucky to have her. We have a special dose of secrets for you today, and we're going to let her do us this salad and tell us about the following: about the importance of intentionality with respect to your own executive development and what leaders can do to build an inclusive, equitable culture, you know, for their employees. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's what we'll start with.
1: Yeah, so actually, if you don't mind
2: our first set of secrets, just tell
1: our listeners why it's so important to. Be intentional, or at least take those strategic risks when it comes to their own um, development in their career and helping them achieve their career aspirations.
3: Yeah, you have to be intentional because you don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's the piece. If, If you think about what you want to do, if you want to get to a level like I'm at, you should be getting a promotion every two to three years. You should be moving. It's, it's rapid, so you don't have years to kind of go away and figure it out. And that's always been one of the gauges I've had around, am I, am I being successful or am I not? I was benchmarking versus other peers, so that's not an, a, a ridiculous expectation. When you talk about the intentionality, I think that's where people struggle because you have to have an objective. And I go back to what I talked about in my introduction around my what and my how. I knew what I was trying to do. If I'm honest, I will tell you, I lost some of my gas once I got my daughter raised and successful and doing her thing. Like once that had been accomplished, everything changed for me. That was really my motivator and caused me to do some things that I might not have done otherwise. And the how piece of it, like finding something that I loved and become, mastering that were critical. When I coach and mentor people, I will ask them, what do you want? They cry. People break down and cry. And it really goes back to this piece around who owns your dream. Mm -hmm. Is it you? Is it a parent? Is it somebody else? But what I can say is it has to be you. You need to do the hard work to get, get yourself grounded. Not what I need to be doing to get ahead. What do I want to be doing? What do I want to accomplish? If you get clear on that, Then the steps and what you need to do to accomplish that become clearer, as well as your own resilience factor and ability to accomplish those things goes up. There's nothing worse than somebody trying to do one of these high-level corporate jobs and they haven't figured it out yet. Like, I don't know what I want to do yet. You are not going to perform. You will not take advantage of those opportunities because it's hard. It's difficult. And what you just said is my heart isn't in it. I'm not willing to do what it takes because I don't know if it's what I really want to do. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. So that's where I would tell people to really put in the hard work, grapple with all the things that has you not know what you want or has you afraid to to say what you want. And I know some of you want some really big things. It is okay to say those things out loud. People will help you. I was talking about being a vice president and a general manager two and three years in at p It sounded ridiculous. People laughed in my face, but they were helping me behind closed doors
2: mm-hmm. because I set the
3: bar. And anytime I complained, they would push back and say, you said you wanted this. And I'd be like, you're <laughs> right. That's exactly what I said. So get clear on it and put it out there in the world.
2: Wow, my Aisha, damn girl, this is just like fire <laughs> over here. This is fire. This mic is scorching. Look, Keith, can you imagine what could have been had we received like what she's talking about, like some of this advice earlier on in our oh, yeah, It's Crazy, like man, crazy. we we already like a little a little bit much to handle. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But <laughs> just think about it. So, but again. What we're, what we're talking about is some of our listeners, now you're getting this, they're, mm-hmm. we're running out of excuses on why you can't, mm-hmm. you know, be able to succeed because you have like blueprints here. But this brings us to our final secret for today, given that you have led like global teams on multiple occasions in your career, Aisha, can you share with us what you believe leaders can do to build like inclusive and equitable cultures, you know, for their employees?
3: Yeah, there's a couple things. I I think one of them is my tip on managing people is find out what's important to your people. That it goes back to what I, you know, I told everybody, get clear on what you want, because if you have a good manager, they're going to ask you (laughs) what's important to you. And it can be everything from, I want to make a difference in the world by doing X to, I want to make a lot of money and have a big house. I know that sounds trivial for some, but for many people, especially first generation that has access to some of these things, it's not. Getting clear on that with your employees, that's what really motivates people. And then that allows you as a manager to enter into a contract with them where what you what they do every day serves them. Just like the time and energy that they're putting into the company. Yeah, it serves the company's mission, but it also allows them to take care of themselves and what's important to them. And that transcends people. I had the opportunity to lead an organization in China and it was very difficult because again, there are just some cultural norms that we communicate differently. We see things differently and that's that's difficult for many of us from the West to understand, but culture is very, very deep. I would say doing that extra work with my teams to gain their trust and understand what motivated them was what allowed me to be a successful leader in another culture. Because once we understood what was important to those leaders, then we were able to do great things together. We mm-hmm. had a point of trust um, that we, a basic trust that we could operate on. And I think that's what really gets to those inclusive environments. People need to be seen and heard in the workplace. I always go back to when we were doing talking about diversity at P&G over 20 years ago. So I'm always shocked that we're still talking about this. But, you know, we used to talk about are your employees in the house? You know what it's like when there's somebody's in the house. How they act. They're painting the walls, they're hanging pictures, their special Kool-Aid brew is in the refrigerator. Yeah, <laughs> they're comfortable. And you know when there's somebody out in the yard watching. With their bags ready to move on to something else. That's as simple as I can make it for you. Do you have your employees in the house? And if they're not in the house, it's your job as a leader to make the house acceptable so that they can find a spot in the house and get them in the house. Man,
1: (laughs) telling you, man, it is. Drop of science. Yeah, yeah. Drop
2: I'm telling you, science, I, didn't like, I, I didn't felt like I didn't felt like I didn't been uh outside that's right. with my bags. <laughs> on many occasions. On right. many occasions. That's only
1: because Kristen kicked you out. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we won't yeah, talk on, about that. Yeah, that's another subject. <laughs> Keeps keep
2: kicking below the belt right now, y'all.
1: <laughs> Aisha, we really appreciate you being here today because we know that our listeners are gonna. Gain a lot out of this. I've gained a lot out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, No doubt. So we really appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. Thanks for taking the time. It's my pleasure. It was great
3: to spend time with the two of you.
1: And if you want to find more resources on the receipts we shared today and be able to connect with Aisha, just go on our website, secrets.com and look in those show notes for this episode.
2: And look, Aisha, I would personally like to thank you As well, for being on Secrets. I mean, we just really appreciate you being a supporter of Secrets, being part of the Village, and more importantly, just for being our friend. You know, like I know when I call Aisha, she's going to answer the phone. I know she might be busy, but she's going to answer her brother's phone Mm -hmm. call. You know, so I appreciate that. I also want to give just a very gracious shout out to all of our listeners and fans out there because you all just continue to humble us by standing up and supporting us every single day. So we just so appreciate that. And if you'd like the the content that we provide for you, please be sure to write a review on Apple or buy some of that merchandise. I know we keep saying it because we keep getting a whole bunch of pictures. Take some pictures of yourselves in the gear, post it to LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter pages. Look, there may be a little gift coming for you if you do some of those things, I can't promise nothing yet, but there's a strong suspicion that you might get something when you post uh, some of your uh, things out there.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Hey, I should, the one thing that struck me today, that this phrase that stuck with me, who owns your dream?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Who owns your dream? And uh, Ricky and I are about helping people achieve their dreams and, and get their blessings and get that coin. So again, be sure to check us out coaching services, if you need us to come to your company and talk to people, whatever the case may be, again,
2: this is about you and your dreams and making them come true. And look, so so as Keith was saying about it, like get your blessings. I mean, just this week, and I, I don't like to do this often, but I get excited about it is we got five more people promoted within the last two weeks. Yeah. I mean, this is huge. Mm-hmm. Like people getting promoted. And look, everybody doesn't get promoted fast. They get promoted on their own time. But we count a promotion as a promotion because mm-hmm. we know that we're impacting that generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So again, we want to thank Aisha, our sister, for being able to spend time with us in such an authentic way that only Aisha can do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are so appreciative of that. And if she inspires uh, you like she does me often okay not then let's all just refill these cups and just keep the party going That's right. <laughs> okay yeah, so class. thanks so much for listening to secrets everyone and just remember when we share you transform take care everybody peace
0: thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from kp and pr In fact, one listener said that Secrets continues to share the inside story on how to truly accomplish your corporate ambitions, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, donate via Patreon, and sign up for our executive coaching services. Check us out at www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when they share, you transform. Until next time, cheers.